inside the cave. So inside the cave, thank y'all for being successful and going for the support from people, you know what I'm saying, I feel like it's making moves. Y'all don't know now, I'm standing right now inside the cave. It's a major tool, don't, don't sleep on uh, Thank y'all for being a major outlet to a lot of people who need that. You're on the number the one show inside the cave. David, this show is great. Turn around and interviewing you for having the best podcast in the nation. Preach! You would not believe it. This <laughs> would not believe it. You have to listen. You're about to go inside the cave. The cave. <laughs> With CB, Joe Dirt, Big Dog, International D, Said, Philly Bell, Cousin Lamar, and Cat. Inside the cave. Let's do it, yo. Then it's on. Welcome back inside the cave, the cavepodcast.com. Like us on Facebook, Inside the Cave. Shout out to everybody listening to us on SoundCloud. Follow us, we'll follow you back on SoundCloud and subscribe to us on iTunes, Inside the Cave Podcast. You like this show with Dr. Umar Johnson? Need you just to give us a five star and give us a review. Let us know how you feel about Inside the Cave. And look, don't just keep inside the cave to yourself. Share us, tell people about us, tweet people about us, Facebook people about us, email and text people about Inside the Cave Podcast. All right, you got emails, complaints, anything you want to tell us about the show, you can email us inside the cave podcast at gmail.com. We got a good show for you guys today. Uh, the whole gang is here. Um, we got Dr. Umar Johnson coming on to talk with us today. It's going to be a great interview with Dr. Umar Johnson. Uh, sad thing is, we got to, uh, I got to, I wouldn't, wouldn't be right if I don't say RIP to pop R&B star Prince. Uh, we'll talk more about Prince uh, on another episode, on our next episode. This episode is all about Dr. Umar Johnson, but I just had to say RIP to the legendary prince all right uh april 24th i need everybody to come out and see your boys and girl at the full-blooded barbershop challenge the championship all right april 24th that's 3830 south wabash all right i need everybody to come down there we'll be streaming live we'll be doing our podcast from the full-blooded barbershop challenge everybody come down there holler at your boys uh, inside the cave all right let's get this show started with emails and complaints emails and complaints emails and complaints with cousin lamar on inside the cave what we got cuz all right, man. So uh, it was it was a real busy week. We got a lot of emails coming through. Okay. Um, all right. So starting it off, we got uh, Travis from Alabama. Um, this one is for a uh, dog. Um, he not feeling you cutting off the country rap tune, trying to do the the R and B slash rock or whatever. And uh, he's basically telling you to stop cutting off Big Dog's rap tune. Keep 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 that coming. Okay, Travis. How about this? Where's he from? You said he's from Alabama. Uh, 
Alabama. Oh, I wonder who sent you the email, Travis. Yeah. <laughs> did he email you or did he write you a letter? They got email down there. <laughs> <laughs> now, I think I think I think he sent the telegram. Uh, was, uh, it, was it snail mail? Did a horse? Yeah. Did a horse uh, pull up at your front door? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Well, Travis, I was going to tell you to kill yourself and start over, but Joe took care of the uh, punchline, so I ain't got to say nothing. Uh, what else you got, cuz? All right. So, uh, we got Rich uh, from uh, Chicago. Yeah. And uh, Rich, he says, uh, oh, damn. He says, so Sid used to beat you up, CB, and abuse you. <laughs> so, he said, all right. So, is Sid on the show because CB is scared of him or because he's good? Laugh out loud. Said didn't beat me up. Said said used to talk about me like he talked about everybody else on this show. All right, but you see, he only show up when he want to. <laughs> 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 oh man! Damn. Shout out to Said. I guess he'll be here one of these days. All right, what else you got, Cuz? All right, so uh, we got one for uh, for uh, this is for you, D. This is uh, from Nadia. There's no. Uh, no city, no no hometown, but she said she got a newfound respect for you, D. She said you called yourself a Uga last episode, and that that took a lot, I'm sure. So big ups to you for for recognizing that and, and owning that, you know, uh, going going and standing that long ass line the other week. D, are you still currently in Uga, or have you went back to your normal self? Uh, let me unload this last pair of Jordans, and then I'll be myself again. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> all right, what else you got, Cuz? All right, so uh, all right, we got a, we got a clown. We got a Slick Rick from uh, from Muncie, Indiana. Okay. Um, he's saying uh, episode twenty eight was cool. It started to get dry toward the end and didn't keep my attention as normal. I thought y'all was really going to ask Cat serious questions for her interview, but y'all <laughs> came in with the heels on and heels off stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. What's his name? Slick Rick from oh, so from Muncie. What a yeah. that, that, that's a real scholar name. You're damn right about that. I thought this was going to be thought provoking question, yeah. and it was. Uh, you know what? I actually uh, know Slick Rick, and uh, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Slick Rick is trying to get close enough to Cat to get some of her pudding. And I told okay. myself I wasn't going to say that joke this week. All right, that's my last time saying a pudding joke this week, but. <laughs> All right, what else you got, Cuz? All right, so we got uh, Trixie also from Chicago. She's saying uh, Cat's new segment is just what the show needs: more Cat and less chauvinistic CB. <laughs> That's all right. Thanks, Trixie girl. That's all right. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, what else we got, Cuz? All right, so we got JD from Texas. Um, he says uh, Joe don't need to be drug tested. The dirt sheets <laughs> is still the best segment on the show. Yeah, you can't prove that. Appreciate it, JD. Oh, Joe. Somebody is getting drug tested. Uh, Somebody is mailing in their own shit. Joe, <laughs> that shit my way. <laughs> Either that or Joe, Joe sending money. <laughs> hey, did that come from a Hotmail account? <laughs> oh, shit. Hey, get off my dirt sheeters. <laughs> oh, man. What else, what else you got, cuz? Alright, so uh, we got a couple more um, Three more actually It says uh, Renee from Out West uh, Says I started listening to y'all show Two weeks ago And I'm listening to all of them It's very funny I recently visited your website One question Is Belly single? 
Whoa. If he is single, is he cheap on dates too? Uh, I'm just interested because you know I'm I'm you know I, I saw the picture and I'm 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 trying to figure it out. So this is Renee showing some love to Belly. Wow. Uh, anybody want to answer that question for Belly, or should we just stay out of it? Hell no. Let Belly answer his own question. You are instigator. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Renee. All I'm saying is that he goes east past First Avenue periodically. Uh, that was. Damn. Well, uh, okay. <laughs> All right, Ren- Renee, don't call us. We'll call you. <laughs> we'll get back to you on that one. I think I found my Uber of the week. Renee, good for you for putting it out there, girl. Don't let them be the failure of the track. Well, Renee, she putting it out there. Well, Renee, we need, you look. <laughs> we, we need to see how you look. We need to see how you look, Renee. <laughs> All right, what, what else you got, cuz? Send us the pictures. Yeah. Send, right. Hey, send the pictures to Joe Dirt Sheets Instagram. There you go. DM, DM them to him. All right. God damn, it's a damn drought in the cave. <laughs> <laughs> what else you got? All right, All right, so next one, we got Trish from Maryland. Okay. Uh, Trish said, just saw the Meyer interview on YouTube. Good interview and video was well put together. Um, what, what was that guy's name that uh, that did your film for you? I'm, I'm, I'm looking for somebody to do some work. So I guess she's trying to get the uh, producer's name that did the, uh, the film work. Yeah, that's Roland at Three Leaf Films. Gotcha. Yeah, Roland. Shout out to Roland Three Leaf Films. Roland does great work, and he is part of the cave. So you can either uh, – I don't have an email. Oh, uh, yeah. Let me show it. It's a Gmail account, three leaf films at Gmail, I believe. You know what? Just email us inside the cave podcast at gmail.com or go to Roland's uh, three leaf films Instagram. Instagram. Yeah, at three leaf films and you can holler at Roland. All right, what else you got, cuz? All right, last one. This is uh, a Willis from Texas. Um, what you talking Willis, about, Willis? <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Alright, so Willis, he said inside the cave is just what he needs to get him through his long ass work day. My co-worker knows y'all and told me to listen and I'm hooked. Um, by the way, what's up with Cat's Pudding? Ah, that, that is a great question, Willis. And uh, only one person has the answer for that, but we're not going to talk yeah, about... I do, and my pudding is blessed and highly Oh man, that was emails and complaints with cousin Lamar. Big Dogs Country Rap Tune of the Week. Big Dogs Country Rap Tune of the Week. Of the Week. It's your boy Big Dog, and I'm going inside the cave with Big Dogs Country Rap Tune. On inside the cave. It's the return of the murderer, maniac madman, the fully automatic, give me eleven in the handbag. The ending of it, the beginning of the Baghdad. Your brain's load out, body in a trash bag. Unidentified, chalk him up a John Doe. Got most of the pieces, but they ain't found his arms though. It's far from a record, I'm different than these rap dudes. A real nigga won't hesitate to clap fools. He mask you, come up to where you lay at. And put them where your face is. You niggas believing I'm a play game. You know who I'm with, so I ain't gotta say name. You pussy, you a black Jew. Ain't never had love for y'all. Make me clap you. And it's a done deal. Don't fuck with what the truth is. Hide behind that motherfucker. Mattel Inc. on Instagram. Your local addict's favorite hustler. 
Inside the cave. You're on the number the one show inside the cave. Dr. Umar Johnson. This is the prince of pan-Africanism, Dr. Umar Johnson. The doctor goes inside the cave. Black America's number one school psychologist, pan-Africanist, and scholar. Dr. Umar Johnson, I'm going to go on a limb and say that you're not really a fan of uh, Barack Obama. When Obama came in and looked out for every minority population in the country, except the one he belongs to. How in the hell do you excuse that? Dr. Umar Johnson. And I'm about to go inside the cave on the cave podcast. Check it out. This week on Inside the Cave. All right, welcome back inside the cave, thecavepodcast.com. Like us on Facebook, Inside the Cave. And if you're listening to us on SoundCloud, follow, hit that follow button and we will follow you back on SoundCloud. We're new to SoundCloud, so everybody feel free to listen to us on SoundCloud as well. You can get your constant updates on the show as well as the TuneIn app. You can listen to us on the TuneIn app, follow us on there, and you can get updates on the show. We're on Stitcher and everywhere else you listen to your podcast or streaming audio. Subscribe to us on iTunes. That's the best way to go. And every time a show is updated, you will get it. Like us on Facebook as well, Inside the Cave Podcast. I am CB at I'm the Real CB. Joe Dirt is here. I'm in the building. Big dog, cousin Lamar, and Cat is here too, right? That's right. right. All right, let's do it. Uh, when we first started Inside the Cave Podcast, it was basically a bunch of guys together who was pretty much out the limelight, out the nightlife. We don't, we're, we entered that stage of fatherhood, and uh, it was just basically us talking about what better ways we can raise our kids, dealing with women, and just, you know, in our mid-30s, early 40s, how are we going to tackle this new phase of life? That was that was what Inside the Cave was started on. It evolved into what you hear now, and uh, it's good that, you know, we we had this, the gimmick on the show, thought-provoking ignorance, and uh, that's been our whole gimmick on the show. But today we're going to get back to our roots and actually tackle this thing us men like to call fatherhood or manhood. And we got on, man, this is a blessing out the sky, brother. Uh, we got on the, the great Dr. Umar Johnson. He's going to help us out with all our questions and help us tackle this thing called manhood, fatherhood. Welcome to Inside the K, Doc, Dr. Umar Johnson. Thank you, sir. Uh, thank you. Glad to be with you. Hey, you know what, sir? I want to start it off just like, first of all, what would you like me to call you? you want me, I, I keep calling you sir because I have so much respect for you. Do you want me to call you sir or do you want me just to call you? Nah, most people just call me Dr. Umar. Dr. Umar? All right, cool. I will call you that. Dr. Umar, uh, I want to start to start off. My first question is this. Uh, not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, uh, but, you know, there's a, there's a, a huge problem in America to get political. Everyone's scared of ISIS. And uh, and then if you go into the Chicago where we're at right now, everybody's talking about the problems in Chicago, on the south side of Chicago. Now, not to sound like a conspiracy theorist, is it, the way I feel about America, it seems like we take out, our, we take out leaders. And leaders, when you, when you leave a group with no leader, 
that group becomes wild and uncontrollable. If you look at the Middle East, some would say that ISIS was started by when George Bush took out Saddam Hussein. The Middle East hasn't been the same. If you look at the south side of Chicago, Chicago hasn't been the same since you got rid of the gang leaders. Uh, you know, so do you leave you leave a group of guys that have no one to lead them and tell them what to do. And, and he, when, growing up, it was a literature for gang to be in the gang. You just couldn't just say you were a gang member. That was false flagging. So now you have a bunch of uncontrollable boys with no leadership, and you could, someone could someone could relate that to ISIS, a, bu a bunch of people with no true leadership. How do you feel about that, sir? Um, I definitely agree that a lot of what we see, and of course Chicago is probably one of the more extreme examples, but the same phenomenon exists on a, on a lower level in many of our cities, uh, major and minor. It's just that Chicago is one of our largest black metropolises in the country, so obviously it's going to get the spotlight shown. I definitely agree that a lot of that is the result of fatherlessness, and of course fatherlessness is a synonym for lack of male leadership. Uh, without question. Um, I wouldn't draw the parallel to ISIS, though, only because many of the so-called terrorist groups that exist in the Middle East were actually created and financed by the CIA itself mm. to justify America's continued presence in regions where she's not wanted so that she can keep an eye over natural resources. So whether it's ISIS, uh, whether it's uh, Al-Qaeda, all of these groups were made by the CIA. These are CIA operatives created to give the government a justification to keep its presence uh, high in the region so it can continue to oversee its business transactions. Mm. That's what that really is all about. You have to create enemies right. so you can go in and play Superman. If there are no enemies, then you coming into an unwanted region, it becomes obvious what you are there for, and that is to invade and to colonize. Mm. So if you want to, if you want to paint your invasion as benevolent, you have to create an enemy that justifies your presence. Yeah. Now, because some say that's the same thing in Chicago, because they've created made us look like monsters and uncontrollable so now they have to send the cops in there and we're going to kill the bad guys well technically we're not bad guys chicago's not bad guys we're, we're we're without leaders but that's an excuse almost like the cia to go into the middle east you know someone could say black innocent kids that they are just without leaders you know i don't know if, if am i making a fair comparison with that do you think Yes, I, I would say so. I also believe uh, that a lot of the murder that is taking place in Chicago is actually being committed by the police. And I also believe that it wouldn't be a far cry to also presume that a lot of the murders are actually being carried out by government-hired mercenary armies. One thing we know about the 21st century, I'm a student of military science and political science, and one of the things that we saw with the birth of the 21st century was a sharp spike in the amount of mercenary armies for hire around the globe. So, for example, it is no secret that the CIA does not rely on the United States military to achieve its political ends. They hire mercenary armies. Every major corporation, whether it's the Bilderbergs or the Rothschilds or... Of the Federal Reserve, they have their own 
mercenary armies. The United States Army, that's just a public army. But then they have their private armies, just like you have public school and private school. Private school is where the real learning takes place. Public school just gives you the facade of learning. And so I think that a lot of what's going on in Chicago is actually being carried out uh, by contract armies to execute black males. That's and not- I think a lot of it is done with an intent to take the organs out of the bodies of these executed black males and sell them on the international market. One thing that a lot of people have not connected when we talk about black homicide and fratricide, whether it's Chicago or the rest of the country, and that is that this fratricide rate is existing concomitantly with a very strong international demand the human organs. You have to remember, the only thing that people need that you cannot buy or grow is an organ. So when someone needs a heart or a liver, you cannot take one, you cannot grow one. You're going to have to take one from someone else who is living. Because remember, if the organ is out of the body for too long, it's no good. So you need fresh organs. Mm. So in order to get fresh organs, you have to have fresh, dead, black male bodies. Wow. Wow. Now, um, you spoke on, you know, the school system and I was watching one of your uh, interviews and it, it made so much sense. And I was just talking to somebody else about that one day about how, like, um, every time there's like uh, a problem with the school system and they have to get days off and all this stuff, it's always the public schools and all the black kids go to the public schools. Most of the white kids go to the private schools or charter schools. And it just seems like a way for to kind of push like black families out of the area or try to do something as far as control and keeping them down. Because um, I, I don't know, like I, we don't see that problem in the suburbs. Yes, indeed. In fact, here's the situation. If you want to take over a black neighborhood, it's relatively easy because black people usually don't own anything in the neighborhood. Mm. So to get us out is very easy because we don't understand the importance of wealth and institutional ownership in real estate. But what makes it difficult to move out of people who don't own anything is the fact that the schools that their children attend are in that neighborhood. So if you want to get rid of black people, you have to get rid of the schools that that educate or miseducate their children, which is why you see so many public schools get shut down in Chicago, shut down in Philadelphia, shut down in Detroit, shut down in D.C., all across the country as I travel, there's a major public school shutdown movement because there's a major gentrification movement in every black neighborhood. So the way to get the blacks out is to shut down the schools that serve their children. Wow, wow. Mm. You know, uh, cousin Lamar, you got something? Yeah, yeah. I was. Uh, I want to make a uh, comment on the point you made about um, the high rate of, uh, uh, of black males being killed and murdered uh, throughout the nation. Um, I, I, I'm always on YouTube and looking at videos, uh, also checking out your videos as well. But I came across something that said that if you change your your ID, because everything is 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 computerized everything is the, the the with the digital age the information is just available 
So, for instance, your license plate is connected to your driver's license, your driver's license tells all your personal information, but it also has your donor information, whether you're a, a donor, if you've signed up or not. And I was told that to kind of get away from that list where you, you could potentially be targeted, that's, is that something that makes sense or is that something that's kind of uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. I mean, ultimately, if you have a organ that is needed and you are the blood type and you are a perfect match, there's virtually nothing that can prevent you from becoming a target. However, you don't need to make yourself a better target by volunteering to be an organ donor on your driver's license. I think that's one of the worst things that black folk can do. Now, in your will, you can always put in your will that if something happens to me, my organs can be donated to friends, family, or members of the global African community, but under no circumstances are my organs to be donated to someone outside of my community. That's what's going to be in my will. Okay, because otherwise, uh, what happens is your very organ, which might be needed by somebody in your very family, can end up going to a white person instead of your cousin because you was on the, the donor list, which automatically meant that that was a public donation. Not a family donation, but a public donation. So you say, wait a minute, I can't get my cousin's kidney? That's my cousin. Right. It doesn't matter. Your cousin volunteered as a public organ donor, and you are not next on the list. Wow. So although he is your cousin, you're not getting his kidney. You're going to die. This kidney is going to Europe somewhere. So yeah. we need to be very, very careful of being so quick to serve the public good, to see a lot of wrong is done to black people in the name of the public good. You gotta keep in mind, slavery was public good. Right. Keep that in mind. From the white perspective, from the American perspective, enslaving African people was in the best interest of America. So we gotta be very careful about the public good because the public good is normally not what's in the best interest for our people. Uh, doctor, before I go to the, uh, before I go to Big Dog, I got a question for you. What do you, how do you feel about, because what you're saying is so strong, and, and, and I agree with about 95% of what you're saying. What is your view? How do people view you in the public eye? How do they feel about you? How do you, how do you think people will view you, and do you even care? Um, as far as uh, how I'm viewed, it all depends who you ask. Mm -hmm. uh, one thing I can say for certain is that one thing I found to be consistent, most people have found to be consistent as it relates to what people think when they hear the name Dr. Umar is that you either love him or you hate him. There's very few people who are in the middle. Right. You don't get people who say, well, you know, I don't really have anything. You're not, you don't get that with me. You're going to get, I love him or I hate him. 99% love him, 1% hate him. And the 1% that hate him try to be as loud as they can because they know they're outnumbered. Uh, but I would say, going back to your last point, that it doesn't matter to me one way or the other. I don't do what I do to be liked. I don't do what I do to be ridiculed either. I do what I do because it's the right thing to do, whether it's fighting for our children, helping our parents, pushing Pan-Africanism, traveling the world. Uh, I have to be true to myself. Right. And I have to be true to my ancestors and true to the Most High. So people can love you today and hate you tomorrow. So the worst thing you can do is try to serve man. Yeah. You know, I don't try to serve man or woman. I just try to serve, you know, the righteous agenda and I let the chips fall where they may. As they say, do the work and 
for me to glory to God. My man. What you got, yes, big dog? Well, I was just wondering, um, what are your views on autism? Autism is a very serious problem, serious disability. Obviously, as a school psychologist, I evaluate for it and I classify it quite often. It has increased in prevalence in the African-American community over the past 40 years. Once upon a time, you can hardly find a black autistic person or child. That is about one autistic black child for every 50 black children. Uh, clearly, the information that has been leaked out of the Food and Drug Administration, information that's even come from the halls of Congress now, different congressmen and women, uh, information that's coming from autistic groups, parent right groups, and more recently, Robert De Niro, the actor who has a 17-year-old autistic son, he's coming out with a movie, a very controversial movie, about autism and its links to the Food and Drug Administration vaccinations program, so which I totally concur with. There's no doubt in my mind that vaccinations are one of the leading causes of autism in all children, and in particularly black children. Wow. You know, you, you know, know what? I was going to ask you about the vaccination because, you know, they got uh, these different, um, I guess, where they went out and they and they checked, um, I guess they did the footwork on autism being linked to vaccination or some of that nature. Yes. You know, they claim All that that's not. Yes, sir. All kind of works. In fact, some of the first of pieces of evidence that suggested the autism vaccination link came out of the FDA. A lot of people started to realize that it was Food and Drug Administration researchers and employees who first blew the whistle about the link. Mm. Congressman Kennedy uh, came out around the Million Man of March this past October, and he had a video out that found concrete research from the FDA that showed they had covered up information that's shown a link between black boys in particular and autism. So it's not a conspiracy. The research is there, the facts are there. Uh, this is a congressman who even came out with the information. It is not a secret. The problem relates to the power of government propaganda. See, America is king because America controls its media better than any other country around the world. So when you hear someone like Dr. Umar Johnson, or you hear a Congressman Kennedy, or you hear a scientist from the FDA tell you that there's irrefutable proof that vaccinations are linked to autism, and then CNN comes on and Don Lemon or uh, Wolf Blitzer, okay, come on and tell you that that's not the case, you're more inclined to believe the government because people believe that governments are honest. Most people believe that around the world. If the government says it, it must be the truth. And so governments all over the world for centuries have benefited from the ignorance of the masses who believe that whatever the government says is more true than when it comes from someone who doesn't represent the government. That is a privilege that the United States government has. Wow. Uh, you know, sir, uh, Dr. Umar, when I was growing up, and it's just like the rest of us, when we were growing up, uh, I got a lot of heat 
a couple episodes ago because it was a girl that was talking about killing herself over social media. And the way I feel about that is, you know, um, grow up, you know, like we got my I got my ass kicked when I was a kid. You know, I got talked about by my best friend, you know, and so it's just like today's generation of kids. They get they get thrown into little stuff and it just makes them want to off themselves. Now, ADHD and, and I don't know too much about autism, but I know ADHD it seems like it's a medical term that they put on hyperactive kids and stuff like that. Now, I was a hyperactive child myself. Do you think that is it is ADHD a soft medical term that they put on kids nowadays? Now here's the problem with ADHD. ADHD allegedly is a scientifically derived disorder. Okay. Allegedly. They claim they have research to prove that there's such a condition. The problem is that no matter how much they claim ADHD is a scientifically derived disability or disorder, it is almost never scientifically diagnosed. Mm. Most students who are diagnosed with ain't no daddy at home disorder, ADHD as I call it, wow. okay, Pretty most of them were not diagnosed with a CAT scan, mm. an X-ray, right. an MRI. Yeah. They were diagnosed exclusively off of the complaints of whining mothers and whining female teachers. Wow. Show me a boy diagnosed with ADHD and show me who made the recommendation. Mm. I guarantee you it came from a female teacher Preach or the on mother. That. Preach on that, The bro. ADHD diagnosing of black boys is a form of sexism, in my opinion. Preach. Because boys are being castigated mm. and marginalized because they don't know how to act like girls in school, nor should they be expected to be. Girls have estrogen. Right. Boys have testosterone. When girls go through puberty, they sleep all day. When wow. boys go through puberty, they want to run and play all day. Right. It is natural. It is a part of being a boy. It is a part of being a man. And it is a shame that we have allowed the American public and medical systems because the schools are working with the clinics and the clinics are working with the Wall Street drug company. So we have allowed this whole, this education, psychiatric medication, okay, uh, in that industry to turn our boys into commodities for the stock market. Wow. ADHD is a $32 billion a year industry, gentlemen. This wow. ain't about mental health. It's about money. This is about money. Yep. And this is what our people don't get. This ain't about your son being hyper. This is about shares for stakeholders on Wall Street. And it's such a shame that black parents are so gullible. I mean, if you just step back and see it, and obviously it's a little bit more pristine from my perspective, because I'm school-based as both a principal and a psychologist, and that is in seeing that 94% of all teachers are women. Mm. 93% of all teachers are women. Wow. And 93% of all those teachers are white women. Yeah. So the black boy is twice discriminated against. He suffers from what I call double jeopardy. Yeah. He gets miseducated because he's black, and then he gets miseducated because he's a boy. Wow. wow. Hey, Kat, now, do you think that they say that these kids have a short attention span, or or it's just every child of... has a short attention span? 
See, the problem with the ADHD criteria is every child qualifies for that. Right. Every boy. Black, white, what what boy, let's look at the criteria. Loses things necessary to get his work done. Has difficulty playing quietly. Taps with his hands or feet. Alerts out answers. Can't wait his turn. Loses things necessary to get his work done. Didn't I just describe you and me and all of us when we went through school? Yeah. Did you need Ritalin? Did you need Adderall? Did you need Concerted? Did you need Vyvanse? Did you need Meditate to learn because you was hyper and inattentive? That's part of boyhood. The way you solve ADHD is not by giving the boys dope. Mm. Give them their daddies back, number one. And number two, give them male teachers. Give them male teachers. Boys need male teachers. If you give them male teachers, ADHD will cease to exist as a problem in school. Brother, you're right on that. I got to get my co-host Kat in because she has to leave in a second. Kat, go ahead. Dr. Umar, could you talk a little bit about your school and tell us a little bit about where it is uh, as goes for opening? Yes, ma'am. The Frederick Douglass and Marcus Garvey RBG International Leadership Academy will be the first school in American history that was based on the principles of Pan-Africanism and international economics. We want to teach our boys how to be successful economically, even if they never set one foot uh, one day in a college classroom. We believe that you can be an economic success without going to college at all. We are not anti-college. Our boys will be more than prepared to go to any college, but we also want them to know that there's opportunities economically beyond college. The top 1% richest people in America never went to college. And so we want to make sure they understand the laws of money, which are not uh, ironically taught in college. Now, the six core curriculums that will serve as the foundation at FDMG will include the economic and financial curriculum, which is going to be imperative. Uh, This is where we're going to teach our boys how to do their own taxes. In the ninth grade, they will have their own business plans. In the 10th grade, they will have mastered the real estate market. In the 11th grade, they will be trading stocks and bonds before they graduate. There will be a military curriculum where we teach them self-defense with weapons and without weapons. There will be a political science curriculum where they're taught white supremacy and how it operates. Why was President Obama made president? And at the same time, black people were doing worse under a black president. How did that happen? How was Africa the most minerally rich continent on the face of the earth, but the people are the poorest? How did that happen? How did the LBGT movement snatch all the black civil rights movement, excuse me, snatch all the civil rights away from black people in eight years under Obama? How is that? Why is AIDS the number one killer of heterosexual black women in the world when we were originally told in 1982 that it was a disease exclusively for gay white males? Why are black men uh, nine times as likely as white men to go to jail? Why is a black woman only have a 25% chance of getting married in America, but the white woman has a 35% chance of getting married in America, even when you control for family background, education, and income? Wow. They have to be taught how the world works because we're not teaching our children the brutal truth about racism. And and you don't, you cannot prepare black children for success by lying to them. And you cannot prepare black children for success by hiding the reality of racism. Dr. Umar Johnson. We will also teach agricultural and agronomical science. We will teach dietary and nutritional science. There will be science of the black family, science of the black community, and the final six sciences 
of the core six, because there's other, but these are the core, will be African spirituality and cosmology. We are a people who venerate our ancestors. We worship Almighty God, but we recognize that our ancestors are our number one intervention in life. And as African people, I believe that one of the reasons we are struggling so much is we have lost the sacred concept of ancestral veneration. Yep. Ain't no angels looking out for you. Your deceased relatives are looking out for you. Preach on that. And could you, could you, I just wanted to ask too, uh, because uh, education is my background. I taught for CPS for seven years. And so my question to you is, and for many of, you know, my co-workers when I work there and how do you recommend uh, those of us who are in education who definitely have a pure desire to uh, give our black boys a chance because I definitely agree and I uh, came across some material early when I began teaching uh, from you regarding black boys and uh their their the the disparity between their success in the classroom and and the the young lady's success in the classroom so what do you uh recommend or what do you say to those teachers and those people who are definitely in the field but trying to make a difference uh in the way that we educate our children what is your recommendation well number one there's solutions and then there's band-aids band-aids mm -hmm. stop the flow of blood but they don't eliminate the wound Solutions eliminate the wound. You don't have to deal with the problem anymore. The solution is to build our own school. If we want to solve the problem, you build your own school. White racist female teachers will never be properly will never properly educate black children. They never ever will. They can't. It's against everything they stand for. So the solution is to build our own schools. The band-aid is to do what? Build the self-esteem of your students. You have to build their self-esteem. Self-esteem is the foundation of all learning. What a child believes they can do, they will do, and what they believe they can't do, they won't. Rigor, relevance, and relationships are the three R's of education. You hear a lot about rigor, high testing, you know, strong standards, but none of that means anything if you don't have a relationship with your pupils. A good teacher is like a good therapist. You cannot help a person in therapy, regardless of your educational background, unless they know you care. It's the same thing with children. You cannot reach or teach. And you have to be able to reach in order to teach. You cannot reach or teach a black child unless they first trust that you care. And one of the hidden causes of so much academic inaptitude from our kids is the fact that many of them are being taught by people who they know don't care about them. So right. build the relationship first. And then once you have the relationship, then make sure your lesson plans are relevant. As a principal, I can tell you, I don't currently have a building now, I resigned from the last job because they wouldn't let me run my school the way it needed to be ran. But the issue with principals is we have to make sure our teachers' lesson plans are credible because a lot of teachers will try to get by with poor lesson plans or use the same one from last week or the same one from last year. So you have to make sure your teachers are putting it in time because for every minute spent lesson planning, that will improve the efficiency of your teaching in the classroom minute by minute. And so for teachers who don't put no time into planning their lessons, these are the teachers for whom the children never learn. So we have to get back to lesson planning, because I can tell you, lesson planning is a very big weakness in American schools. And, and another thing, a lot of principals don't even check their teachers' lesson plans at all. And then the third will be the, the rigor. You can hold a child accountable to the highest academic standard once they trust you and once your lesson plans are relevant. 
you were talking about uh, young boys being taught by uh, women and stuff like that. I had a guy on. He's young into the field now. I have a guy on that I've been knowing for a while. He's a, he's he's of the Muslim Muslim faith, and uh, he goes by the name of Minister Jap Hussein. And if you see him on Facebook, he is so hard on black women. He says that single black mothers are the sole reason for the downfall of the black community. Now, I know that's an extreme uh, take on stuff, but he has, you can listen to the episode. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very extreme because it denies the fact that the single black mother should not be left to raise the kids on her own in the first place. Right, now he See, blames that on them. Child, every child, by nature, mm-hmm. has two parents. That's right. the way the universe designed it. Right. Masculine and feminine nurture produces a healthy child. Right. But when you have racism with a intentional agenda of mass incarcerating black men, which means it's destroying the black family, you don't blame the mother mm-hmm. for trying to do her best in an unfair and unhealthy situation. Mm-hmm. It's not the single black mother that's the problem. It's the circumstance that caused her to be single in the first place. That's the problem. Now, do you think that's, that's bad like decisions on an, her? If there was an, say that again. Do you think that's bad? He says that's bad decisions on her because she wasn't no. raped. She wasn't raped in that situation. She chose that no good for nothing guy Listen, to sleep down. I'm a psychologist. I tell people all the time. I tell people all the time. I am a psychologist. I am not a psychic. Right. There's no way you can foretell somebody's future. Right. A woman dating a man, she could have knew him since first grade. Right. Had 50 kids with him. And he turns out to be something she never knew. Or he wakes up and walks away. Or he gets murdered or gets incarcerated for something he never even did. So you're making the woman responsible for the fact that the man is no longer there. You can never know someone totally. People only reveal what you know, what they want you to know of them. And not only that, it could have been a situation where for whatever reason they grew apart. It could have been a situation where he was murdered. It could have been a situation that he got incarcerated for something of no fault of his own. Not only can she not be blamed for that, in many cases, he cannot even be blamed for that because it was an unfair situation. So I totally disagree with any analysis that tries to make single mothers the scapegoat. To the contrary, to the contrary, I would argue that had it not been for single black mothers standing in and stepping up, how much worse off would our black boys be? What if the single mothers stepped off the way some of the fathers did? Because most fathers did not step off. They were either incarcerated against their will or pushed out by mothers, which is another issue that is often not addressed when the mother makes it difficult yeah. for the father to participate and, and in, the, in, in, in that relationship. But and the, and the play bad. devil's they advocate have a bad situation. And the play but devil's the mother's advocate mother's presence made it better. The mother's presence made it better. I think we should celebrate the single black mother that's, and not castigate the that, single black mother. That's true, but the play devil's advocate, can you agree that today's single mother is not the same as yesterday's single black mother I, I can stand on it my mom raised me and she, i cannot can make a single comparison to today's single black mother 
to my mom. I, that that'll be totally disrespectful. Well, but that's true for black people. Period. Right. That's true for the men too. Okay. We are not the type of men our grandfathers were. Sure. We are not the type of men our great everybody has fallen off of that stool. Why single her out? Right. The woman cannot be the woman unless the man is not being the man. True. This is a relationship situation. Right. It is a problem with the black community. The black community is such the black church is not what it used to be. Sure. Black leaders are not what they used to be. Black politicians, black men, black women, black youth, all of us have sold our children out, not just single mothers. Right. I agree. Uh, keeping us along those lines, uh, I see you speak strongly about the uh, the denationalization of uh, the black man, you know, the, the black boys and growing up. And I agree with you so much on that uh, topic, if you want to go into talking about that. Well, as far as the effeminization go, we got to understand something. A black man has always been public enemy number one in this country. You have been more unwanted than the ARAB after 9-11. Mm. You have been more unwanted than any... There's no person in America, nobody, illegal immigrants, legal immigrants, ARABs, terrorists, detainees at Guantanamo. There is no person in America who has ever been more ridiculed, castigated, unwanted, and undesired as the black man. So, with that being said, one of the reasons the black male has been so unwanted and castigated is due to the fact that America has done an excellent job creating and falsifying a negative image of what the black man is. We yes. are a threat to American society. We are a threat to their women. We are a threat to their way of life. We are a threat to decency. We are a threat to good conduct. They have made us the poster boy for everything wrong in this country. And because of that, a black man being unapologetically so is the most distasteful thing in American existence, which means that many black men, the only way they can function if they want to be a part of this American reality is they have to adopt a servitude, non-threatening, effeminate demeanor in order to assimilate into the status quo. Now, most of us are black men, and even for the sisters who are listening, if you think of many of the successful black men that you know, excluding athletes and entertainers, I'm talking about people who had to earn a living in the regular world. People who tried to become successful in the regular world. I'm not talking about Jay-Z's and Beyonce's and LeBron James and Stephen Curry's. I'm not talking about athletes, regular black folks. In order for a black man to ascend to the upper echelon of any corporate structure, I don't care if it's the church, higher education, the corporate world, business, politics, you name it, he has often had to adopt an effeminate posture. Wow. I don't mean act like a woman. I mean don't act like a man. Wow. He mm. cannot be assertive. He cannot be deep-voiced. He cannot express how he feels. He cannot be unapologetic. He must be laid back. Yeah. He <laughs> must be very non-threatening. Yeah. He must make everybody around him comfortable. That is the new black man. The new black male of the 21st century is the effeminate black male, non-threatening wow. to white male power. 
wow. And a lot of people say that about Obama, that he has to be calm and tame and not, and he wouldn't be able to act like an angry black man, as they quoted. If, uh, well, Obama not a black man. Obama ain't gonna act like no black man anyway. See, <laughs> I don't want to give racism too much credit when it comes to Obama. Okay. I want to be clear on this too because you know people want to uh, make racism the scapegoat for Obama's neglect of black people. Uh huh. I saw this coming eight years ago. In fact, I'm the only prominent scholar who said that when Obama is done with office, black folks gonna wish he never was in office. Really? Because we're gonna be so far back. We're gonna be pushed so far back that it'll look like we just got off the civil rights movement. Man, it feels like that That's exactly where we are. Yeah. If you notice, the racism by white folks is more pronounced. Yeah. 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 You see it? Do y'all see that now? You go to the hotel, they don't even put the inkpen in your hand, they put the inkpen on the counter. Yep. They don't want to touch you. Yep. You're starting to hear racist comments again. White folk are like, we ain't got to hide no more. Dr. King ain't here. Malcolm ain't here. Garvey ain't here. We ain't got no black leaders that's really going to do anything besides fuck. We can go back to being unapologetic racist. And now with Donald Trump, he didn't change the game. Oh, man. Because Donald Trump has popularized the unapologetic white voice, white racist voice. Yeah. In fact, Donald Trump, ladies and gentlemen, saved American democracy. He saved it. He saved it because after Obama, poor people and working class people Black and white were done with the American uh, electorate. They were done with it. They were done with it. Was nobody going to vote in 2016? Mm. They, they, they said, listen, Bush was in there. He destroyed the country and yeah. gave us an opportunity. Right. So we voted for a black Democrat. We made a biracial Democrat president of the United States. And guess what? He ain't do no better than Bush did. He gave us Obamacare. And even many poor folks are being crushed under that because it makes you get health care now even when you can afford it. You yeah. see, and so they said, you know what? We're done. We didn't have the Republican white dude. We didn't have the Democratic black dude. And ain't nothing getting better in 16 years. Well, nobody going to vote. Uh-uh. And then here comes Donald Trump, a white racist who is unapologetic with his racism, who is financing his own campaign so he can say what the hell he wants to say. <laughs> right. And white folks are happy. They are proud that somebody is finally speaking up and saying what they've been thinking the whole eight years under Obama. Donald mm-hmm. Trump said, yes, white is back. And now black folks are pissed off because Donald Trump is telling them how white people really think about them anyway. And so now black folks are motivated to go out and vote to keep Donald Trump from becoming president. And white folks are motivated to go out and vote to make sure he becomes president. So guess what? The United States government can thank Donald Trump for this country not descending into a civil war. Wow. Wow. That is so deep. Uh, Let me ask you this then. Do you think that when we don't control the House or the Senate, can you really hold Obama accountable for everything? Most things, not everything. Uh, Of course you can. Uh, When Bill Clinton was president, okay, he didn't control the House or the Senate, but he damn sure pushed through the mandatory federal three strikes in you out incarceration law. He damn sure pushed through mandatory minimum sentences for nonviolent drug-related offenses. He damn sure kicked millions of black women off of welfare. You see, when uh, Bush was president, he may have not controlled the House and the Senate this over his over eight, eight years, 
but he definitely pushed through legislation to protect his corporate buddies. He pushed through legislation to help poor white folks. He, he, he sat on his ass on Hurricane Katrina. He didn't need Congress to tell him to help. He just simply chose not to. Right. Obama didn't need Congress to sign all those executive orders protecting gay people. Yeah. Okay, Obama decided to push through the Equal Pay Act for white women. Obama decided to sign those executive orders for illegal immigrants protecting Latino relatives because they voted for him. They know, the Congress didn't make Obama put a gay Supreme Court justice then. Congress didn't make Obama put a Latino Supreme Court justice then. Congress didn't make Obama nominate a white man instead of another black person for the Supreme Court. Obama should have nominated a black woman for the Supreme Court. Yeah, I thought he was. And why should Obama have nominated a black woman? Not only because we never had one, but in most African spiritual systems and African culture, let's take comedic science, justice is symbolized by the black woman, Mahat. You don't get no justice without the black woman. So if Obama really wanted to do something for the country, you would have nominated a black woman to serve as scales of justice in the Supreme Court. Instead, he overlooked black folks three times. He overlooked you three times. Gay person, Latino person, and a white male. Uh, that ain't got nothing to do with Congress, my brother. That's Obama selling you out. Dr. Umar Johnson, I'm going to go on a limb and say that you're not really a fan of uh, Barack Obama. <laughs> I'm not a fan of racism. Yeah. Nor any Negro who volunteers to uphold it. It's nothing personal. It's nothing personal with Obama. Mm -hmm. I was not a fan of Jesse Jackson. Oh. I was not a fan of Al Sharpton. It ain't got nothing to do with him. I don't know that, man. Yeah. We can probably go out and have a nice conversation. But when it comes to the politics of helping black people, I'm going to hold you accountable for what you say and don't say, what you do and what you don't do. Obama has done nothing for black people while he simultaneously went out of his way to fight for all other minority groups. Now, if he did nothing for no group, I wouldn't be able to hold him accountable. Because I can say Obama ignored all minority groups like George Bush. George Bush ignored them all. <laughs> right. He ain't look out for gays. He ain't look out for women. He ain't look out for nobody but rich folks. Yeah. But Obama came in and looked out for every minority population in the country except the one he belongs to. How in the hell do you excuse that? Mm. Now, some would say that Obamacare, that you say that people can't afford, is helping primarily the black community because we're poor and can't afford insurance and stuff like that if a rich person gets sick they just they can they can afford the good doctors and stuff like that now on its premise obamacare was supposed to put poor people on the same level uh as as rich people or whatever like that so everybody can have access to the best doctors per se you still don't agree with that well first of all medicaid was around before obamacare Right. Poor people still qualify for health insurance before Obama. Yeah. The problem was working class people who made too much to qualify for Medicaid and made too less to pay for their own medical coverage. That's what Obamacare was for. It was for working class people, not poor people. Obama never said anything. You, if you found a lecture where Obama talking about what he's going to do for poor people, I want to hear it. Hmm. I want to hear it. Okay. Obama was crystal clear. His whole eight years of office that he is for middle class people. Yeah. He has consistently said that and he said it on purpose to make sure white folks never thought that he was thinking about you. He always said for the middle class. That's who Obamacare was for. Right. We ain't really got no black middle class. White folks got a middle class. Black folks are either 
either got it or you broke. Ain't no middle class for black people. <laughs> you either got it or you broke. Do you yeah. understand? That's so true. what it did do was for working class black folks who made too much for Medicare and didn't have enough for their own care, it provided them on the surface with a form of insurance. But the problem is they're going to have to pay a premium on that insurance mm. that basically is what they would have been paying had they just went out and got their own. The problem with Obamacare for working class families is that it forces you to get insurance, and if you don't have insurance, you pay a penalty. How in the hell is that helping people? Just piggybacking and saying that another issue that has come up is that uh, there aren't many doctors in the network taking all of the insurances that are under Obamacare. So, for instance, uh, at one point, we weren't able to go see an eye doctor because no eye doctors were in the network, whereas before there were eye doctors, dentists, and such. So that's another issue that Obamacare kind of faces. I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that. So that's yeah, just, you know. But what I'm, what I'm hearing from a lot of working class families is that they're being forced to pay for insurance, whereas it was better before. Because at least before, I could go to the doctor as I needed to. Mm-hmm. You see, as I needed to, if I had to pay 100 here, 100 here. Now he's making me pay for insurance, which means it's going to cost me more money over the year now with Obamacare than it did before. Because if you ain't got health insurance now, you pay a tax penalty. Right. How is that helping working class people? Right, right. But let me tell you who's getting rich. You know who's getting rich off Obamacare? The health insurance companies. Oh, yeah. Remember when they remember when they passed the law making it mandatory for you to have auto insurance? Remember that? Yeah. Who benefited from that law? The insurance companies. Now everybody got to have insurance. So now the insurance company is booming. That's exactly what happened with Obamacare. Obamacare benefited health insurance companies more than it benefited the people who claimed to help. Uh, I, I watched a video earlier, and it, it kind of touched on these uh, topics that you're uh, talking about now, as far as like... Um, Talking about Hillary Clinton, talking about Barack Obama, talking about, um, you know, just just white leadership in, in general, uh, as far as politics and how it plays a part and how everything is kind of pre-selected. Like you, you went into um, uh, the, the popular vote versus the Electoral College. And I, I just wanted to get your, your opinion on with the current lineup of presidential candidates that we have right now. Is there any one of them that kind of that sticks out as a, a potential good selection for for the u.s uh here's the thing with presidential elections it what makes them different from everyone else all other elected offices governors you know mayors all other politicians are elected with direct vote it's right. direct voting So when you vote for the governor, you vote for the mayor, city council, uh, state rep, U.S. rep, U.S. That's true democracy. It is the people who choose. Presidential elections is not that way. The United States Constitution is very clear that the president is not to be chosen by the people. Mm. The president is chosen by the electors. And the electors are not chosen by the people. The electors are chosen by the power structure. Wow. What did you hear Donald Trump talking about on TV the other? Why is Donald Trump upset right now? Yeah. Donald Trump is upset because he's leading yeah. all Republicans with the vote. Mm-hmm. But he's upset because the delegates 
to the Republican National Convention are saying that despite the fact that people are choosing Trump, they may not choose Trump. Yeah, yeah. This is is Donald Trump's issue. The people want me, but my party does not. Now, that's the party level. So here's a man who's clearly wanted by his people as a candidate for the presidency of the United States. But because the party keeps control over who wins through the delegates. See, it don't matter how many people you win. You got to win the delegates. The people don't matter. Mm. It's the same thing in the vote. The electoral college chooses the president. The people can want you all day. But do we want you? Does the power structure want you? Does the financial elite want you? Let's go back to election 2000. Bush Gore. Bush Gore. Are you aware? That Al Gore beat George Bush yes, in the popular vote. I yeah. watched I'm not talking about the 17,000 black Florida votes. Mm-hmm. I'm not even including them. I watched it, brother. I remember. That has no part in my discussion. Yep. That has no part in my discussion. I'm talking about the votes that were counted and included. Mm-hmm. Al Gore had more. He beat Bush by almost a billion popular votes. Yeah. Yep. But Bush got the White House. You know why? Because he had two, hear me out, two, two more electoral votes than Gore. How does two people, how does the vote of two people count more than the vote of a million people? Mm-hmm. That's exactly what happened in the year 2000. Yep. In your lifetime, you lived through a president who was not anointed, but appointed. Pointed, right. Right on that, brother. You were right you don't on. choose no president. When you vote for the president, you're choosing a personality. A <laughs> yeah. personality. You are allowed to choose which person you want to execute the racism in your life. That's what you <laughs> Damn, <did>. brother. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Speaking, wow. On, speaking on racism, uh, doctor, how do you feel about... Uh, here, here's a theory that I have. And I used to be out in the club scene a lot. And uh, I, I, I told my, my wife this not too long ago. If she, and she's a pretty woman, and her friends are, especially back in the day, if they were to go out to certain clubs down in Miami or whatever like that, they couldn't get behind the velvet rope to meet certain celebrities. This is what I've seen. Those girls that get behind that velvet rope, they were chosen by somebody else to get back there. It's almost like a form of pimping because if you're going to get to that rich black man or whatever like that, they're going to want a cut of that. So if that black man pays out $5,000, $10,000, whoever running that party is going to get some of that. Now, most of that, most of the women that come, come in there, especially in Miami or different clubs or whatever like that, those are exotic, as they say, exotic women, not so much of sisters. So that, that has changed the whole dynamic where a lot of black men you see now don't even like black women anymore. I hear. Not, not, I'm not saying all of them, but you hear a lot of black men. That well, remember, the situation doesn't make the man. Mm-hmm. It reveals the man to himself. Yeah. In other words, I don't reach the NBA mm-hmm. and start liking whites and Latinos over my own black woman. Right. I've already had a seed in me <laughs> that was more inclined to them in the first place. Mm. You do not remake yourself overnight. That was always in you. Michael Jordan marrying that white Cuban, that was always in him. You have to go back to his childhood. You got to ask his parents, how did y'all raise y'all son? You see, 
Now look at this. Now Michael Jordan is a blue, black, purple, black man. Hmm. He grew up in the South. Yeah. So looking at his selections for marriage, now his, his wife, his first wife, Juanita, she was light, bright yellow. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with light, bright yellow. She's still a sister. Yeah. So we don't discriminate. But her skin tone may have played a role in why he chose her. Mm-hmm. I say that now because I look at who he chose to replace her. He went from a super light-skinned black woman to a super light white Cuban. So that means Michael Jordan, despite being the greatest basketball player of all time, had a seed of self-hate that he'd been carrying around in him since he was a child. And I don't know if y'all saw the YouTube clip a couple weeks ago. One of the rappers, one of the popular rappers, I forget his name, went up to Michael Jordan in a nightclub about two weeks ago. I don't know if y'all saw it. It was all over YouTube last week. And he asked Michael Jordan to take a picture because he was his idol. He had his jersey, his Jordans. And Michael Jordan told this brother to his face, I do not take pictures with niggas. Damn. Wow. Damn. You know, I've been hearing that stuff too. <laughs> wow. That's that's deep right there. The situation don't make you, brother. It reveals you to yourself. If Dr. Umar sells out the struggle tomorrow, yeah. I didn't just decide to do that. I was weak from the gate. There was a weakness in me from the beginning. The, the situation doesn't reveal, it doesn't make you, it reveals you. Mm. Go ahead, dog. Well, I kind of want to go back and touch on um, his feelings about President Obama. Okay. So what exactly do you think that he should have done differently that he didn't do? Okay. Let me rephrase the question. The question can't be what do I think he should have done differently because he didn't do anything mm. for black folks. So you can only ask that question if he did something. And then you say, okay, how should he have done this? He didn't do anything. So the question can't be what he should have done differently. The question can only be what should he have done? So let me ask it this way. Understanding that he's a black man in the White House. Understanding that the president does not set policy. But every president is allowed to embark on certain domestic issues to leave a mark for their legacy. I think there's three issues that Obama could have tackled and could have tackled quite effectively because everybody agrees that they are problems. I'm going to give them to you. Number one, black male employment. Everybody in America knows that black men cannot find work. Number two, mass incarceration of black men and women and re-entry of black men and women. Do something about the mass incarceration of black, the whole country. Now, I'm giving you stuff that everybody agrees on. That. This ain't debate. Everybody knows there's too many black folks in prison, and everybody knows that when they get out of jail, they end up going right back. Because right. 95% recidivism rate for black offenders. Right. 95%. Wow. He could have did something about incarceration. He could have did something about employment. And my last thing, which is my heart and soul, education. Obama could have did something to increase the amount of black male teachers. He could have did something to control special ed. He could have did something to reduce suspension and expulsion of black boys. He did none of the above. These are three safe topics that every American knows is a problem. Employment, education, and incarceration for black folk. He didn't touch none of them. But how much of that do you think that we have to own ourselves? Because, you know, we have a lot of brothers well, that don't uh, want to step up 
and you know take on responsibilities or have any interest in educating themselves to get a better career mm -hmm. and they come out and commit a lot of the same crime so i'm not sure if i totally agree that we can hold him accountable for people coming out and um committing the same crimes over and over again okay only problem i got with your analysis my brother is that white males commit more crimes than black males do and don't go to jail even half of the time right. so this is not just about brothers stepping up and recommitting crimes okay incarceration is a function of breaking the law time the focus of the police laws are broke every day in america my brother but the only people who go to jail are the ones they want to arrest this mm -hmm. is not about irresponsible black men it is about a criminal injustice system that deliberately targets them i could walk out this hotel right now and get arrested for something i did not do and spend the rest of my life in jail for something i did not do just because i'm black i've never been in jail i got six degrees and i'll get treated like any brother who is on his third strike it is we got to be careful about blaming the victim everything that takes place takes place within a context it takes place within a context trayvon martin wasn't breaking the law nor was michael brown nor was eric garner nor was my brother down in charlotte or the one up in charleston let's not reduce it to black men breaking the law because if that was the case there would be more dead white men and more white men in jail than it is black this is racism mm. not crime control don't you think that's a, a little bit kind of different um, situations. I mean, I'm not talking, I mean, I know we have an issue with um, young black men being targeted. Uh, police brutality and, and everything you said, I agree with. But my question is, I guess, how much um, effect could the president really have on those issues? I mean, shining the light on it more. A whole lot. A whole lot. Do you realize that it was a president who swelled up to jail? I mean, do we realize that it was the last Democratic president who swelled up to prison? So you can't say that presidents can swell up to jail, but but then they can't do nothing about it. If you can swell them up, then guess what? You can depopulate them too, you see. So it, 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 it can't be both ways. It can't be presidents can create a big mass incarceration problem. But presidents can't do it. Of course Obama could have done something about it. Of course he could have. And if, and if most inmates were white men, he would have done something about it. But it's not popular helping black people when you're in office. It's not popular. And he was too much of a coward to stand up and do the right thing. So you suffered. Mm. And you're going to suffer even more now because you let him get away for eight years and do nothing for you. So now whoever becomes president, they ain't got to do nothing for you either. You made it easy for everybody by falling in love with presidents. You don't fall in love with politicians. You're supposed to hold them accountable. That's true. Stephen A. Smith said the same thing, sir. You're right. I agree with holding them accountable, but I guess my question is more on the local level. Don't you think a lot of the uh, local officials and where... I know most black people feel like, you know, my vote doesn't count. I'm not going to see change. But don't you think on the more local levels where we're going to be affected more versus 
the stuff from a presidential standpoint? Okay. The president's job is to execute the laws of the country. Yeah. He's the executive branch. The main law that the president is supposed to execute is the 14th Amendment that guarantees you equal protection under the law. Not equal protection just in your city. Not equal protection just in your state. Equal protection wherever you go. That's Obama's job. Are you aware that 95% of the problems black people have had since Obama has been president have his 14th Amendment issues? Trayvon Martin was that equal protection? Sandra Bland was that equal protection? Miseducation in public school is that equal protection? Unemployment is that equal protection and opportunity? Do you realize the central issue of the Obama presidency has been the lack and the abuse of black people's 14th Amendment rights? That doesn't get decided by the mayor. That doesn't get decided by your city council. That doesn't get decided by your governor. The governor only governs. The mayor only oversees. The president must execute the law. Obama was more responsible than anyone else in this country for the treatment of blacks because he failed to execute your 14th Amendment rights. Let me give you an example. You work at McDonald's. I work at McDonald's. He works at McDonald's. Everybody on the show works at McDonald's. We work at seven different McDonald's or seven different Walmarts, or better yet, let's say public school. We all work at seven different public schools. And somebody tells you, don't worry about what the superintendent is doing. Now, he's the superintendent. He sets the tone for education. He sets the agenda for education. He creates the policies for education. He's going to determine what's going to be accepted and what's not going to be accepted while he is superintendent. He's not in your building. The superintendent has never come to your building, but guess what? He controls it. So you mean to tell me if the principal came to you and said, hey, stop worrying about what the superintendent is doing. Just worry about me and worry about your coworkers and worry about your students. But the superintendent is reducing my pay. The superintendent is cutting my vacation. The superintendent is messing with my health insurance. The superintendent is affecting my workman's comp. How can I not be concerned with what the superintendent is doing because how he does his job affects how I do my job? In the mm. same vein, how can you say that what the president is doing does not have a direct impact on the everyday life of black folks when he sets the tone for how black people are going to be treated. Policy flows from the top down, not the bottom up. Well, I mean, I agree that he oversees everything, but I just still feel that the, um, I guess more on the local level is the stuff that's really going to affect the but poor. But racism is local too, though, my brother. That's what I'm saying. On the local level, I mean, a lot of stuff that the average poor person votes on is not going to... Here's what I think you're trying to say, and this is where we agree. Here's what I think you're trying to say, and here is where we agree. Despite everything that's being done to us, we can still do more for us. Despite everything that we are suffering from, we can still mount an offensive against it, and we're choosing not to. Right. Without question, in every oppressive relationship, in every oppressive relationship, there is an oppressor who wants to be, and there is an oppressed 
who is allowing to be. And I totally agree with you from that standpoint that we should have organized more. First of all, we should have publicly denounced Obama until he started doing stuff for black people. We should have had a rally against him, and I guarantee you, you would have gotten more than what you got. If black folks would have came together and said, Mr. President, if you do not start doing something for us, we will renounce you. Now, that won't affect him being president, but it'll damn sure embarrass the hell out of that man that his own people had to publicly denounce him for ignoring them, and we did not do it. We did not do it. That's number one. Number two, we need to take our money and stop wasting it and build schools, banks, hospitals, supermarkets, farms, distribution networks, airlines, everything that every community needs to be successful, we need to have. So I totally concur with you. Because see, here's my thing. The white man is not God. And the only way you can sit back and say that there's nothing you can do is if you consent to him being God. I will never consent to him being God, because he's not. So if he's not God, and his, and if he is your equal, that means you have just as much ability to come out from under racism as he had ability to put you under racism. I totally agree. My ancestor, Frederick Douglass, said, you know what? I was born a slave, but I'm not going to die one. Right. I don't give a damn what the laws say. I'm not going to be no slave no more. And risked his whole life to get out of it and then fought to get everybody else out of it. Harriet Tubman. I don't care what the laws say. I'm not leaving my people in bondage and I'm going to free as many of them as I possibly can. So I'm with you, my brother. It ain't about what the law said. It ain't about what Obama is doing. It's about what we choose not to do. The racism is there. The problem is we are complicit in the racism, because as Dr. King said, people are in greater peril, not from those who do evil, but from those who see it and choose to stay silent. Okay, you know, this being Autism Awareness Month, right? and um, how do you feel about healthcare not really providing coverage to help treat kids that are diagnosed as being autistic? That's a good question. Uh, well, I would say I, I didn't know that that was happening because in most states, uh, they have programs where either all uh-huh. low-income, which is a low-income child, can be covered and any child with a serious disability. I mean, the National Autism Association, they will make sure that a child with autism gets some type of coverage. Uh, I guess there could be issues with middle-class or working-class parents in terms of qualifying for the assistance. But I wasn't aware of any child with a disability who was unable to get coverage. I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, here in Chicago, we had, well, in Illinois, we, we got a new governor. And he cut uh, a lot of the autism uh, programs to save money. Okay, okay, I see what you say. You need more of the programming versus the health care. Because with autism, there's really no cure. So you don't necessarily get a prescription or medicine. It's more of the programming. That's the side you mean. To help them develop and learn how to live with their autism, how to function effectively. Um, yeah. I don't support that. You know, they should not have cut that. But I also think that parents of autistic kids, because most of those kids qualify for special education, because autism is 
one of his special education disabilities. I think those parents should effectively advocate in the school because if you are autistic, you get autistic support in special ed. And so it becomes the parents' responsibility to make sure those teachers and that IEP team are working mm -hmm. with your autistic child. Remember, the special ed children get twice as much money as the regular student. So there's extra money the school is getting to help your autistic child make them spend it the right way. Wow. But, you know, a, a lot of times they um, pay for the diagnosing of the kids, but uh, the actual therapy and stuff that you need, the schools can't right. really provide that. And but a lot see, of schools that really specialize in autistic kids is it's more than the average family can afford to even pay for. It's almost like sending your kid to college. Well, see, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm, I'm building the National Independent Black Parent Association because that would be something that we initiated. That, that would be one of the responsibilities. If that chapter was up and running in Chicago, the special ed committee would be creating a subcommittee to investigate, fight against, and also build. See, one thing Marcus Garvey said, and as a Garveyite, I'm very, very much biased towards self-determination, which is why I said earlier, I agree with you when you talked about self-responsibility. That is the foundation of Pan-Africanism. We believe in self-determination. Marcus Garvey said, you cannot beg for your place. You cannot demand your place. You have to make your place. So I, we have to make sure we do not uh, denigrate into becoming reactionaries against racism. Because a lot of black people, all they do is react to racism. That's it. I don't want to spend my whole life reacting to what white folks do. I don't want to spend my whole life reacting to what the governor of Illinois does. If our autistic kids need a program, then let's come together with our autistic families, our special ed teachers, our psychologists such as myself, and let's create that program. We don't need the governor to give us no money. We can do it on our own. And that's why we're building the Parent Association. And I hope some folks from Chicago and every other city who listens to the podcast come and join us in Baltimore uh, the 27th to the 29th of May. It's going to be powerful. Wow, so deep. So uh, I just want to thank Dr. Uh, Omar, and I just want to, uh, to let you know that uh, I appreciate what you're spreading and what you're saying and what your message is, because I, too, agree that we should be a little bit more responsible for our actions and what we are doing. Uh, I do want to ask you what advice you would give. For instance, I live here in Chicago uh, and I want to help. What is something people like me, you know, moms and dads and, you know, people just average Joes who want to, uh, who basically have been, you know, enlightened, that third eye is open and they realize that, you know, there is a conspiracy happening and, and what can we do to save ourselves? What can we do to live the best lives we, we can? My answer to that is help me organize a chapter of the National Independent Black Parents Association in Chicago, in your city, and for all your listeners in the cities where they live. May the 27th through the 29th. May the 27th through the 29th, and Saturday the 28th will be the main day. We will be in Baltimore, Maryland. 
at the Downtown Cultural Arts Center, 401 North Howard Street, for the first new chapter conference. And we are a brand new organization, and this is the first new chapter conference for people who want to lead and organize a chapter of the National Independent Black Parent Association. We will be organizing our parents to fight against racism in seven main areas. Special education, school discipline, school law, the school finances, homeschooling, parent advocacy, which is helping our parents protect their children, and social support. Those are going to be the seven key areas, and I'm excited about it. There's people coming from all over the country. And if you want to help, there's no better way to help our people than by helping our parents because they are out there, those single mothers and single fathers and grandparents, and their kids are being mistreated in school, okay? That school to prison pipeline is stronger than ever, and we have resolved that we are going to destroy the school to prison pipeline if it's the last thing we do. So anybody who's really, really serious about making a difference, there's no better difference than, than what can be made helping our parents and children. Come with me to Baltimore. If anybody needs more information, they can reach me at drumarjohnson.com. They can also get me on Twitter and Instagram at drumarjohnson, Facebook, drumaresatunde. They can reach me by phone, area code 215-989-9858. That's 215-989-9858. Also, I want your listeners to know that I host a free black parent teleconference call every Tuesday morning, 6 to 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Any question about education or mental health involving your children, you can call me up and get a free answer for that. I will be speaking in Birmingham, April the 30th, Philadelphia, May the 7th. I will be in Oakland, California, May the 12th, Greenville, South Carolina, uh, May the 19th. Baltimore, Maryland, the 27th to the 29th is the conference. But on the 29th, that evening, Sunday evening, I will be doing a power lecture in Baltimore as well. Augusta, excuse me, not Augusta. No, it is, is it Augusta? No, Savannah. Savannah, Georgia, Thursday, June the 2nd. Sir, you More can... information, princeofpanafricanism.eventbrite.com. Prince of Pan Africanism, and we spell Africa with the K. Sir, sir, are you coming to Chicago anytime soon? Uh, my problem with Chicago is I can't find a venue okay. that can hold at least a thousand people. Oh, so if okay. you guys have an idea of a venue that I can rent, I will get with the right people. At least a thousand people, uh, please text that to me because that's what I need in order to get back to Chicago. I will get with the right people, brother, and uh, and, and try to do something. Even in Kansas City too, we have uh. We have people down in Kansas City, too. Uh, yeah, you, your message needs to be heard. Uh, let me ask you this before we let you go. Uh, a couple things. When it's all said and done, sir, what do you want your legacy to be? I don't concern myself with my legacy too much because you don't control your legacy. When you die, mm -hmm. the historians and the historiographers are going to write whatever they want to write about you. And most of the time, it's not good. When yeah. Queen Mother... Uh, Dr. Francis Chris Wilson passed away. Black people, it was black people who couldn't wait to jump on her back and try to deride and disrespect that woman for all the work she did for us. Dr. King, for all he did for us, people still talk about how, you know, he went outside of his marriage. Yeah. Well, if Coretta Scott King never complained about it, why are you complaining about it? You don't right. out. So you, you don't control that. All I can do is do the best that I can and hope that something I did motivates some black boy or girl at some future time to also act. Beautiful.
Man, first off, again, like Cat said, definitely appreciate you uh, blessing the uh, show, man. I caught the last pretty much five to ten minutes, but if it was anything like the rest of the show, I know everybody, all the listeners, and it's my deep intellect. Oh, thanks a lot, my brother. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it, and I appreciate y'all for giving me the opportunity to be on, on your radio show. You know, it's interesting because people always ask me what's more effective. Mm-hmm. The lecture or the radio show? Yeah. Now, obviously, the lecture is more impactful for the people who are there, but you can only sit a couple thousand people in a lecture. Right. But a radio reaches thousands and thousands of people with a radio show. Yeah. So I'm still debating which one is more powerful. Well, well I'll tell you and what. Doc. I do know that if you can get the people, it's the lecture. Well, I'll tell you when what. The people come out. I, I tell you what, Doc. But that radio show can be heard all the well, time. Radio tell, shows are I tell you what, Doc. Our thing is not even a. We're not even a radio show. We're a podcast. So with a podcast, we're better. And I'm not just saying that to toot my own horn, but toot toot. We can take this with you anywhere you want to. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, and you can listen to it all the time. This won't if you want if you love what the doctor is saying. You can listen to it again on iTunes, SoundCloud, anywhere. Tune in. That's that's the that's the benefit of having a podcast and so love. Which I love somebody that's actually trying to make a difference in the community, and, and uh, you're focused and on the that. Black Boy College Store. Not to cut you off, I almost forgot. The Black Boy College Store will be from June the 30th through July the 15th. This is Dr. Umar Johnson's first annual Unapologetically African, Fred Douglas Marcus Garvey, Black Boy Manhood. Manhood in college sport. We're going to be taking them to Cheney University, Lincoln University, the Audubon Ballroom, Malcolm X was assassinated, mm. the world-famous Apollo Theater, Barncliffe Cemetery, Malcolm X is buried, Khalid Abdul Muhammad is buried, Paul Robertson is buried. James Baldwin is buried. Aaliyah, the R&B singer, is buried. Malcolm Jr. is buried there. Uh, Dr. Yusuf Yakin is buried there. We're going to the Great Blacks and Wax Museum, the Harriet Tubman House, Harriet Tubman Grave, the Nat Turner Reserve. It's going to be powerful. So if you got a son between the age of 11 and 17, registration begins on Monday. $500 deposit. $2,000 for the whole two weeks. Everything is included. The tour actually costs twice as much as that, but I'm subsidizing the rest of it. All you have to do is pay your half, which is the 2000 But if you got a son who needs that, he needs that masculine black manhood leadership and mentorship, find a way to get him on my tour. There's no college tour like my college tour. Registration starts Monday. Prince of Pan-Africanism. Hey, uh, we, we talked to you about a lot of serious topics, but and, uh, we're all men here, with the exception of the lady. Who you got in the NBA playoffs, sir? NBA playoffs, it looks like Golden State is going to win it all again. Yeah. Uh, I think San Antonio might be their best threat, mm-hmm. but San Antonio doesn't have the young legs that Golden State has. I think they can get ran off the court. Half-court game, San Antonio can beat them. Full-court game, those young legs are too much. I really don't see anyone beating them. I think if LeBron makes it back to the finals, uh, I think that Cleveland could give them a strong run. And I don't think LeBron is happy about the fact that the NBA has abandoned him sure and have. made Stephen Curry their new hero. Yeah. I mean, they dropped LeBron like a bad habit. Uh-huh. Yeah. And I don't think he's liking that at all. So if he gets to the finals, 
I think he's going to try to make it count this time. One more NBA question. Kobe Bryant just retired. Uh, how do you feel about the, in my opinion, the great Kobe Bryant? Well, you know, Kobe from Philly. Kobe from Philly. Lord Marion right across the street. Right. You know, uh, Kobe, I feel, and I was never a Kobe fan until late, yeah. but I don't think Kobe got his due. Right. I have a problem with the fact that a man who went to the NBA final eight or nine times, yeah, seven, uh, five ring, mm-hmm. a, 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 a three-peat and a repeat, right. only has one MVP. Exactly. They gave it to Nash. I don't understand. I know why, though. We all know why. Yeah. Because of that ring case with that white girl. We know why. Yeah. You know, he was punished because of that. But it's a shame that he only got one MVP when LeBron had three MVPs before he even won a title. Right. So Preach I think Kobe that. was done a little dirty. I think he was definitely done a little dirty, but he's top five all time. Say what you want to say about him. Preach on that. He's top five all time. You know, Doc, I was already a big fan of yours, but after that, I'm, I'm even a bigger fan, <laughs> brother. I got to tell you, he is Doc. Well, you know, Kobe's from Philly, so I'm, 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 I'm rocking with the Philly. Villanova. National champion, Philly. Yeah. You know, we're doing our little thing. We got to get the Sixers together, though. Allen Iverson going to the Hall of Fame, too. Allen Iverson Hall of Fame. So this was a good Philly week. Yeah, no doubt. A good couple weeks in in, in Philly, but the Sixers have been cursed (laughs) by Allen Iverson. The way that they treated Allen Iverson, I think they've been cursed. They've never rebounded since then. And I believe the only way the Sixers organization will ever reclaim its glory is to make Allen Iverson an integral part of that team, that team's chemistry. Whether it's coach, whether it's general manager, whether it's vice president, chief of operations, if they bring Iverson into the structure of the Sixers, he will be able to recruit them some talent because he's still one of the most popular NBA players of all time. Yep. Yep. Without, I mean, He's up there with Michael Jordan in terms of popularity. Not accomplishment, but popularity. I believe Iverson was the most popular NBA player of all time, especially in the hood. No player comes before Iverson in the hood. No No player. No doubt. So if you want to rebuild your team, you got to go back to Iverson. But they don't want to do that because they hate Iverson because he's not a white man's black man. (laughs) He's not. He's not a white man's black man. He ain't. You see what he went through as a child, where they tried to take his whole life away because of a Olin Ali fight. Right. So Olin Iverson knows white supremacy, and that's why he never bowed down, and that's why they destroyed him and caused an early exit from his career. He's not a white man's black man, and that's going to be the problem that the Sixers are going to have with an Olin Iverson. Mark Johnson, can you give us your social media, sir? Yes, sir. Uh, folks can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter. At Dr. Umar Johnson, one word, D-R-U-M-A-R Johnson on Instagram and on Twitter. It might be Dr. Period Umar Johnson, or it might just be the at U-M-A. Yeah, because with Twitter, there's, I don't think there's no separation. Right. So yes, at Dr. Umar Johnson on both Twitter and Instagram, D-R-U-M-A-R J-O-H-N-S-O-N. And on Facebook, I use my Europe last name uh, because I'm a student of the spiritual system of Ifa, practiced by the Yoruba of Nigeria. And that name is Ifa Tunde, which means destiny has returned. So on Facebook, you can connect with me at Dr. Umar 
Ifatunde, which is spelled I-F-A-T-U-N-D-E. Dr. Umar, I-F-A-T-U-N-D-E on Facebook. Now, you got to be careful because on Facebook, there's several fake profiles right. of Umar Johnson. You yeah. want to make sure you're on the Ifatunde page. Not the Umar Johnson, not the Umar Abdullah Johnson, not the, this is, must be Ifatunde. All those other pages are operated by the CIA, FBI, wow. and conscious community hate groups. My man, he is Dr. Umar Johnson. Sir, I want to just say thank you once again for coming on Inside the Cave. The honor was mine. Y'all be blessed. Inside the cave. Inside the cave. Inside the cave. Inside the cave. You're on the number one show. Inside the cave. Three Lee Films.